Hey, real quick, before we get started, I just want to say thank you so much for everyone who nominated the School of Podcasting in the education category at the Podcast Awards. I just found out we have made this late and I'll let you know when it's time to vote. Thanks again. I really appreciate that. Today on episode number 315, we've got a really cool because of my podcast story. We're going to go back and look at another reason why you should pay attention to the title of your show. We're going to look at the whole multiple websites updating. We've got some answers on that. We're going to talk about is blab.im going away. We're going to thank someone for a podcast review. And then we're going to dig in deep to some of the tools you can use for podcasting. If you've ever thought about using a compressor or a noise gate or a de-esser, we're going to explain those in plain English. Hit it, ladies. The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting since 2005. I am your very own personal podcast coach, Dave Jackson. Thanking you so much for tuning in. If you're new to the show, we talk about all things podcasting here and only those things podcasting. So it's kind of a little bit of both there. What I help you do is massage your message. I help you tackle the technology, face your fears and flatten that learning curve. And how do I do that? Well, I've been helping people understand technology for over 20 years. And before you know it, hey, look, you're in iTunes and you didn't even get a scratch. Now, if you're interested in joining the school of podcasting, you are here right at the right time because registration opens on June 1st. And if you want to get uh, one of those seats as they open up, go over to schoolofpodcasting.com slash newsletter and you will be alerted as soon as this opens. Now, if you're like, I don't know, Dave, I'm, I'm this whole podcasting thing seems way too technical for me. Go over to podcastingpuzzle.com. That again is podcastingpuzzle.com. Sign up there. We got a couple webinars going on over the next week that are really like podcasting 101. So if you've ever wondered, like, I want to know a little more about this, but I, I feel like I'm in over my head. We start at absolute ground zero. There are no stupid questions. We actually leave a lot of the uh, webinar open so you can answer or you can ask, and I will answer any question that you have. That again is over at podcastingpuzzle.com. I always like to start off with some success. And one of my favorite people, Corey Finneran, just a super nice guy. Uh, you may know him from the Podcasters Group Therapy podcast, and you may be wondering what the heck happened to it. Well, here's what happened to it. Check this out. Guess what I just did? I just handed my boss my resignation letter. This podcasting journey started seven and a half years ago. Now, I want to pause here for a second because a lot of us want it to happen in seven and a half weeks. Corey's been doing this for seven and a half years. So how long does it take to grow an audience? Mm, maybe a little longer than seven weeks. He says, so I started this seven and a half years ago, and now it's allowed me to leave my job and start my own business. You've probably heard me talk about Ivy Envy. That's a podcast he does on the Chicago Cubs. And he says, and uh, you hear him talk about that one more than the one he did for his employer. Since 2012, Corey says, I've been able to call myself a professional podcast producer as my employer created a new position for me to do video podcasts for teachers to play in their classrooms to help high school students with disabilities in their transition from high school to life after high school, primarily through work and employment. Well, it says it turns out there's a huge need for this type of curriculum in schools all over the state of Illinois. And uh, they've all started using that podcast. So he was like, wait a minute. Everybody's like just chomping at the bit for his content. So he said, I saw a need. And last summer, 
I started working on starting my own business, creating innovative and interactive online transition curriculum and marketing it to schools all over the country. Because remember, podcasting is a global audience. And in this case, he's just going for the U.S. So it says, after receiving contracts from school districts and cooperatives, I'm able to leave my job at the end of the school year. Many of the people in this group uh, have influenced me, whether or not they know it, to take this very scary jump. People like Bob uh, Zerul, Ray Ortega, Daniel Hayes, Nick Suberling, Dave Jackson, and of course, his wife, Tawny Finneran, who has been insanely supportive over the last year as I've worked on building this. Uh, If you're curious on checking it out, he says you can check out his website at transitioncurriculum.com. So there you go. Somebody actually quitting the day job to make a living. Not again, if you notice here, he's not selling his podcast. His podcast help him identify A, his target audience, B, a need his target audience had. And so his podcast then led to a better product that his target audience needed. So he's not making a living from his podcast. He's making a living from the product that his podcast helped him create. See how that works? It's a, it's a interaction with your customer that allows you to get feedback. So you know the product to make that they just go, oh my gosh, this was made for me. So Corey, buddy, congratulations and uh, best of luck. And uh, I assume I'm going to be seeing you at Podcast Movement because hey, it's in your backyard. All right, we're going to kind of back up a second. And I've talked about how important headlines are in the past. And when I say headlines, I mean your show's title, the title of your episode. And you're like, well, Dave, why are you doing a repeat? Well, you know how like in uh, criminal files, if there's new evidence, they come back and bring it. Well, we have new evidence. And because I now work for Libsyn, which by the way, Libsyn is L-I-B-S-Y-N.com and you can get a free month there using the coupon code SOP, that's short for School of Podcasting, SOP free, all one word. And uh, I get to see uh, some mistakes that people are making, much more than I used to. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about here is in the past, I've, I've talked about people starting off like your show title with like the date or the number of the show. Like it might be episode 26, you know, May 23rd, School of Podcasting. And I'm like, oh, nobody cares what the date is, things like that. What I'm seeing now, and I've never thought of this, are people putting the name of the show at the beginning of their show title. And why this kind of makes no sense is any place where you can see the title of an episode, like your website or in iTunes or in Stitcher, I'm pretty sure at the top of the page, you already see the name of the show. There's no reason to put the name of the show again in the title. And here's another thing to keep in mind that I discovered. On the podcast app from Apple, if you have not subscribed to the show, so think about this, somebody who is not subscribed, better known as your target audience, they only see 45 characters of your headline. Now, once they subscribe, they can read the whole thing, which is cool. However, until they subscribe, let's, let's say that every title I put school of podcasting, how to podcast today, we talk with so-and-so or today we talk about, well, 45 characters would give me school of podcasting dash how to podcast today. School of podcasting, how to podcast today. 
School of Podcasting, How to Podcast Today, that's it. Doesn't really make you want to click on it. You have to realize how valuable the title of your show is. This is what's sucking people in. The title of your podcast, the actual show, is really important, but so is the title of your episode. Now, here's the new evidence that I wanted to inject. Why do we care about this, Dave? Enough with the headlines. I had a client who had a respected media outlet that wanted to take his RSS feed and put it on their site. So basically put his headlines and links to his website on their website because it's valuable content. They tested this because you can easily put any RSS feed on a WordPress website. And what did they see? The name of his show and the date. The name of his show and his date. Well, that doesn't make people want to click on it. Instead, they should say like, the name of the guest shares how to turn dog poop into gold or whatever it is that's going to make people click on it, right? And so they went back to the the producer in this case and said, uh, any chance you can, I don't know, go back and change all of your titles? Because this isn't going to really, it's not doing it for us. So that's why I'm bringing this up. If you want a free resource on how to write better headlines, go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash headlines. And I've basically found a bunch of tutorials, some software, all sorts of free stuff that you can use to make better titles. Because if you want more downloads, it starts with your headline, with the show title. Check it out, schoolofpodcasting.com slash headlines. A couple episodes ago, I mentioned how I was kind of frustrated because it seems like every time you log in, WordPress needs updated. And when you have multiple sites like I do, you just spend a big chunk going, okay, next one. And, And if you forget, here's the problem. If you forget to update a website, you're leaving it open to being hacked. And so I said, hey, does anybody know? There are a couple of these. I've never used them. So Paul, who does a uh his website is self-publishing-journeys.com. It said, because uh, I'd asked about uh, Managed WP. And he said, uh, I have seven websites that have been using Managed WP for a couple of years now. He goes, and I love it. It's very easy to update all sites, all sites at once. It gives you immediate admin access to all sites without logging in. And it's uh, very simple to add and take new WP installations. It's uh, And then they have this dynamic pricing. So he loves it. Daniel from the audacity to podcast.com says, I use iThemes Sync, which I didn't even realize existed because uh, I, I am familiar with iThemes. He says, but here's another one. You should also check out Jetpack's built-in module for plugin updates. He says, then you can go to wordpress.com and it might be slash plugins, something like that, but something with wordpress.com and update all your plugins from there. Now, it's not as thorough as iTheme Sync, but it's free with no limits on how many sites. So thank you guys for uh, chiming in. I'm uh, probably going to play with one of these here as we go along. But, uh, you know, when in doubt, I've said, ask your audience. And I did. And I thank you both for chiming in. Every Saturday morning at 10.30 Eastern Standard Time, I do a show called Ask the Podcast Coach. Now, a couple of reasons why I do this is, well, some people, when they see, they go to sign up at the School of Podcasting, they see how much it is, they're like, I can't afford that. And I'm like, oh, but it's going to save you so much time and it's going to save you so much headaches and all the other things. And they go, hmm, just not right now. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I offer basically free consulting 
every Saturday at 1030 Eastern Standard Time. You just got to get up at askthepodcastcoach.com slash live. And I've been using a platform. I've used a bunch over the years. I've used Mixler. I've used Blog Talk Radio. I've used Google Hangouts. I've used, um, oh, I forget the one telephone thing we use, callinstudio.com. It, I've played with a lot of different technology. And when we found Blab.im, we loved it because you can, in theory, bring people in and out fairly easily. It records it. And you can have uh, up to four people in a group at one time. Well, this past week, the CEO stated that Blab is not doubling down on broadcaster tools. Now, we're not exactly sure exactly what that means. That's like me going, well, I'm not going to double down on product reviews. Well, does that mean I'm not going to do them at all? Does it mean I'm not? Well, it's kind of vague, right? And the problem is you have people who have unfortunately invested a lot of time and resources into Blab, which, okay, but it's a free service and it's in beta. And basically they built this thing and said, hey, kick the tires on this and let us let us know what you think. Well, they want to focus more on people that are, for lack of a better phrase, they're just hanging out. They're not really doing a quote show. So it's just like the drunk girl at two in the morning who's sitting there going, now me personally, I'm like, that's your target audience. Because when I see people hanging out, I'm not thrilled with it. But on the other hand, I guess because of the stats, those blabs, and that's what you call them, had people staying around longer because it was a drain wreck. I get, I don't know, but so we talked about this on the Ask the Podcast Coach show, and we came up with a couple of things. Now, we don't really know what this means. And this is where one of those things, don't leave your audience asking, what does that mean? Say it straight to the point. I always use the analogy. I think I've said this to you before. The cable guy. When the cable guy says, well, we'll be there sometime between eight and three. You're like, ah, because you can't do anything. You can't leave because the minute you leave, they're going to show up. Whereas if you said, look, we're not going to get there till two. Okay, sure. You wanted them there at eight. But when you say we're going to be there at two, now they can do something from eight to two instead of sitting there going, I wonder if they're going to get there. So when it comes to customer service, giving them bad news is not fun, but at least you're letting them plan on what to do. So I wish they would do that and just come out and say, here's what we mean. Because they say, we're not taking away things now. Okay, well, what does that mean? What are you taking away and when are you taking it away? So I can plan. So to me, it's kind of bad customer service. But on the other hand, I guess I could stop not paying them. But I don't pay for them. So I'm not going to not pay them anymore. That's it. No, no, no more nothing for you, Blab. So what we think it might mean is they can't make it reliable. Blab has had some big names come in. And when they do, like Gary Vaynerchuk, and I think somebody said Tony Robbins was in there one time. It just crashes. It just, it just blows up. And maybe they kind of went, hmm, we didn't expect this many people to be on it. And now that they are coming, you know, it just won't stand up. The other thing, if you compare podcasters who are doing a show and want it to be reliable with great audio quality and things like that, we might be a little bit more perfectionist. Then the drunk girl on Saturday going, I don't know, he left me. 
or whatever, three guys in one brain going, dude, 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 did you see the Orange Mountain Dew? Whoa. I, I don't know. But that might be part of it. Maybe we're not a great audience. We're a little, we're a little high maintenance and we want everything for free. The other thing, and they said this, they did give us this. They're working on another project. It's some sort of app for teens. So, okay, I appreciate that. But that the reason they said that is because they kind of went, um, this is as good as it's going to get for a while because we're not really worried about things breaking over here. So I do appreciate that honesty. So that way, if things don't work, because I know uh, I logged into last Saturday and I was there for about 15 seconds before it kicked me out. Don't know why. It was fine the rest of the day, but it's a little weird. So what does this mean? Well, it means I'm not leaving the platform until it just doesn't work anymore for me, but I am keeping my eyes open for other options. So here's the thing. Let's say it does go away and people will be mad because doggone it, I was giving them lots of nothing and I expected them to give me everything for my nothing. And this is why I always say don't bank on free tools because they tend to go away. But why would it be good if they died? Well, on one hand, Somebody should say, wow, there are a lot of people who want high quality, reliable tools, and they'll probably be making some sort of other service that will be in the same way that Blab was like a cool way. It was kind of like everything we wanted in Google Hangouts, but couldn't get. So somebody's going to come along and say, all right, how can we take some of the best tools of Google Hangouts and the cool stuff of Blab and put it into insert the name of that? So if this goes away, I'm not really that worried because somebody will come up with something because there are obviously people that want a podcast, want an easy way to bring people in and out, want to be able to record and stream it live. And so without a bunch of ads and without a bunch of other stuff. So it'll be interesting to see, but that is the latest update on blab.im. No, it's not going away. We're not 100% sure what it's doing, but we know it's not going away. One of the ways you can support the show is by going to schoolofpodcasting.com slash iTunes. And that will take you over there. You can click on show and iTunes, I think, and write a review. It'd be even better if you subscribe to the show. Even if you don't use the podcast app, maybe you're using an Overcast or Stitcher. Subscribe in the podcast app just for fun. It helps us shoot up the charts. And while you're there, write a review. I want to thank uh, Alan B., the tractor guy. He wrote a review and said, hey, what if a what a fantastic resource this show has been for me. I'm a 51-year-old professional in the entertainment industry. I knew nothing about podcasting when I decided to have my own show. The School of Podcasting has and will continue to be my GPS. Great podcasting source. Thanks, Dave, for doing your homework. Alan Brewis, tailgate entertainer from Alan B. The Tractor Guy. So, Alan, thank you so much. I'll have to check out the uh, tailgate entertainer. And of course, I had this review sent to me through a service I use called My Podcast Reviews. If you're interested in that, check it out at schoolofpodcasting.com slash M as in Mary, PR, better known as My Podcast Reviews. So schoolofpodcasting.com slash MPR. Next up, you're going to hear me talk with uh, Chris from Podcast Engineering School and this is something that's not quite open yet. He also runs Fractal Recording. And I just want to say this before we get into this. Why am I talking about this? Well, on one hand, again, it's about knowing your audience. And I've had people ask me these questions. 
In fact, one of the questions, what the heck is a de-esser because I can't seem to make a difference in my voice, is my own question. So I wanted to talk about some of these tools, but I want to say this up front. You don't need a compressor, you don't need a noise gate, and you don't need a de-esser. But a lot of us, for some other reason, it's in our DNA, we always want to make things a little better. I think it's because in the heart and soul of every podcaster is somebody who wants to help other people in some way or another, whether we're making them laugh, cry, think, or groan. We want to, we want to give to people. And if a compressor or a noise gate or something will somehow make the experience better, we'll jump through that hoop. And so I'm bringing Chris on to help explain what is a compressor, what is a noise gate, and what is a de-esser, and uh, what does it sound like when we use it? What does it sound like when we mess it up? So here is my conversation with Chris. Well, joining me, we're, we're kicking the tires here again on Zencaster, is uh, a new podcast about podcasting. What's kind of cool is we always hear about people kind of niche down. So Chris Kern is with us here, and he is, uh, he's got a school that's not open yet called Podcast Engineering School, but he's already got the podcast going, so he's attracting those gearheads that want to just talk gear. So if you love gear talk, you got over got to go over to uh, podcastengineeringschool.com and check out the podcast. So Chris, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. Thanks for having me, man. You were my guest a few episodes ago. We had a great time. On episode number 11. <laughs> yes! <laughs> that was awesome. So uh, you mentioned in your podcast that uh, you, know, you kind of come from a music uh, background, working in studios and all. Get, tell us a little bit about your background when, in that aspect of it. Yeah, so I was I've been a drummer since I was probably 15 years old and and of course then I you know the the my friend down the street played guitar so we started jamming and then we wanted to record it and my other friend had a four track recorder so we borrow I borrowed that and I started recording and everything and then after I graduated high school I went to I went to school I went to the recording workshop actually in Ohio uh to learn the basics of music production and engineering and that was awesome and then I went to New York City after that and became an intern. And then I worked at a few different studios in New York, uh, learning how to make records and, you know, getting some album credits, meeting some famous people. And it's a lot of fun. And yeah, I mean, I'm totally into audio engineering and I have been since that four track. So I just love it. Because you mentioned in your show that kind of when you came over in the same way, that people like Eric uh, K. Johnson, who's the, the podcast talent coach, he came over and was kind of like, wow, these guys are making some of the, the same content mistakes that he, he, you know, the radio guys made years ago. You know, we come over to podcasting, now we're making all the same mistakes. What do you think are some of the mistakes that podcasters are making that, that new engineers make? You know, I think a lot of beginning podcasters, they think they just turn on the mic and they talk into it and that's what it sounds like. And that's a podcast. Well, there's so much you can do to make it sound better. And, and the reason you'd want to make it sound better is to make the experience better for the listener. When the listener turns on any audio, they should be able to hear everything. Everything should be intelligible. Everything should be balanced, at least in, in a general way. So one thing is not really loud and the other thing is a whisper. You know what I mean? So it just presenting the audio to the listener so they can hear it and enjoy the content. Because we all know the best sounding audio is is when the listener doesn't even hear any. They just hear the content. They don't even right. recognize sound or microphones or anything. It's transparent, right? Yeah, I think we share a pet peeve, which is if you make me ride the volume knob, oh. I am, the next knob I'm hitting is unsubscribe. <laughs> totally. 
that happened to me driving about 85 miles an hour across Utah on one road trip. And I was listening to podcasts and I swear to God, at least every other podcast, the volume differences between the speakers was so great that I had to, I couldn't listen. And not only volume, the EQ, some of the voices were really bassy and some were like tinny and harsh. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's just one of those things with a little insight, you can, uh, you know, eliminate those problems pretty easily. And uh, so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring it on is, you know, we have the, the typical person that's, they've got their microphone, maybe they've got it down, maybe they figured out a little EQ, but a lot of the things that I get questions about, I wanted to bring you on and kind of see if we can break them down into to plain English. And one of those is a compressor. In general, what a compressor does, it decreases, it compresses the dynamic range. So the things that are really loud, they get squashed down a bit. The things that are really low, they get pulled up a bit. So that when you're driving across Utah at 85 miles an hour, you can hear the low things and the high things aren't too high to blow you out. The other way that a compressor or the effect that a compressor has is it the more compressed something is, the more in your face it seems. So sometimes you'll hear a voice and it seems okay, but it, it, it seems a little further away than maybe another voice. If you compress it, it sort of brings it up into your face a little bit and then it's easier to hear because it's right in front of your face. <laughs> yeah, because there are times when you can look at the levels and it's like, well, it's loud enough, but I'm still having a hard time maybe hearing what it is or understanding what it is. And then a compressor kind of, like you said, makes it a little more yeah. in your face. And that's when you're out walking the dog and you're like, I still can't understand what they're saying. It's, well, that the level thing is interesting because when you, when you see a really healthy level, but it doesn't seem that loud, usually it's because there's a lot of bass in the, in the signal. Mm. Bass frequencies really carry a lot more energy and power. So if something's really bassy, the level is going to look like it's crazy high, but it's not, you know, it, it's, it's not going to seem like it's in your face. So that's another thing with EQing. But anyway, we're talking about compressors now. <laughs> but that's very cool. See, I, I was something where I kind of always thought that, but it's nice to have it, because uh, you, know, you can. You can easily say, well, the, the levels are the same. This guy's at, you know, minus six, and this guy's at minus six. But if this guy's, if you got your friend Barry with you, with the face <laughs> on, um, you know, I that's... actually. <laughs> Hold on, where is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's Barry. Exactly. So... <laughs> So if we get into the knobs, the first thing is is called threshold, which means what? Threshold is it you're just telling the compressor when to start working. So let's say your threshold is how do we want to say this? Let's say your threshold is minus 10 dB. Okay. Okay. So if there's a signal at minus 20, like if I'm talking right now and I'm about minus 20, minus 18 the compressor's not going to work yet because the compressor's only going to start working when the signal goes above minus 10. So if it goes to minus 15, still not going to work. If it goes to minus 11, still not going to work. Once it crosses minus 10, once it crosses your threshold, then the compressor kicks in and starts acting. So when it goes to minus five, let's say, or goes to even zero, the compressor's going to start compressing that signal down. Got it. So it's kind of like the watch guard. It's like, all right, here, Mr. Guard, stand here. And if you see, and it's always kind of weird because in, in audio recording, you go up to zero. You don't start at zero and go up. Mm. You start at minus whatever and go up to zero. And if you go over zero, you're actually distorting, which is always kind of uh, a little confusing. So you could say, all right, anything above minus 10, I want you to watch for that signal. And then I guess that would bring us to the, the next knob, which is typically what? 
well, you got your ratio. Right. Yeah. So your ratio is actually very simple. So if you go above minus 10, let's say you go to minus five. All right. Okay. You're five dB above. Right. Right. You're, you're kind of past the line. You're like, hey, yep. so the, the watch guard kicks in and goes, hey, wait a minute, buddy, you're, you're 5 dB is too loud. Exactly. You're 5 dB over the line. So what if, if you set the ratio to 5 to 1, mm-hmm. it's going to take that 5 dB above and it's going to squash it down. Now it's only 1 dB above. Oh. So instead of, going, instead of going up to minus 5, you're only going to go up to minus 9. I see. Yeah. Interesting. And if, and if the ratio is two to one, that's a, that's a lesser of a ratio. It's a more mild ratio. Right. Yeah. You could put it up to 20 to one. So basically you can go 20 DB above and it still squashes it down to one above. That's more extreme. So the, so the higher the ratio, the more extreme the compression. Got it. What is the characteristic of something like a, a 20 to one? Is it, does it sound different than you know, something was like four to one or. So here's the thing. We're talking about compressors, but I'm sure everyone listening has heard of a limiter. Right. right? You can put a limiter on something. A limiter is basically a compressor with an, with a ratio of infinity to one. Mm. So it, they call it a brick wall. Right. So you can't get past it. It's a limiter. It's just boom there done. So if you, if you turned your ratio up to infinity to one, then let's say minus 10 is your threshold. That's the threshold we're using. You would reach minus 10. And as soon as you try to go past the limiter would say, uh, uh-uh. it would just cap it at minus 10. You would never go above minus 10. <laughs> so that is a limiter infinity to one compressor basically. So the, the higher the ratio, the more extreme the compression is. And, and that can sound different ways for different things. It's hard to talk about how would somebody know what ratio to use? Is it a matter of how dynamic their voice is or what, why would I choose two to one, four to one, you know, eight to one? Yeah. So, you know, in general, you have to play with it and figure it out. But I would say for compressor, probably four to one is about average. So starting when you start messing with your audio, I would put the ratio on four to one and, and see how it sounds and try to, you know, like any effect or, processing you do with audio, you got to mess around with it. You got to completely overdo it. So, so maybe you start at 20 to one and you jam, you know, you put the level way up and you see it compressing like a zillion DB and hear how it sounds. (laughs) Then go back to zero, go, go back to normal, what they call normal. No effect means normal. And then, then try four to one and try a little bit of level and you you just got to hear it. So I would start four to one is a good ratio to start at. That's really, and that's a, a key point with any kind of effect. In the end, you're just going to vote with your ears. Exactly. Because the numbers don't matter. It, I mean, is the listener, me driving across Utah, am I going to say, oh, use the six to one compressor. I don't like this. <laughs> no way. I don't even know. I would I stay subscribed, but he wasn't going four to one. So I'm done. Oh, he's one of those six to one guys. I don't like them. <laughs> exactly. All right, so do we have any other knobs typically on a compressor? Well, you have your attack and release times. Okay. Those are actually very important as well. So I, I always took it as the attack button was, so we have our watch guard there waiting at, at minus 10. Yep. The attack is like how 
I guess you could say how fast he reaches out and smacks people. Yes. Okay. It's in milliseconds and it's how, how fast he acts. Yes. Okay. So how attentive that, that, uh, the, how fast you squash things basically, or how got it. And so that's the attack. And then the other one is, is the release. Okay. So that's the same thing when you're above minus 10 and the compressor is compressing you, right? When you come back down, eventually you're going to go back down past the minus 10 going lower, right? Mm -hmm. When you pass minus 10 going down, the compressor can still act for a little bit longer if you want it to. So the release time, once you pass minus 10 going down, how long does the compressor continue to act for? So if you have it on one millisecond, which is very short, as soon as it goes past minus 10, the compressor will release and then then you're not compressing it anymore. But if, you're, if your release time was one second, one full second, as soon as you go down past the minus 10, the threshold, as soon as you go under the threshold, it'll still compress it for another one second. And well, it, it, it'll release the compression, but it'll release it over a one second period. Got it. So I, I picture this like if I was over in the UK, right, I've got uh, I've got my guard there with the big black hat at, at <laughs> Buckingham Palace. And and the attack is how fast he jumps on a sound wave that goes over the threshold. And then basically the um, what's the other one again? Why release. The release is how fast he gets off of him. So he tackles him at the door and, yes. and squishes him down. And it's like, all right, well. The release is how quick it takes for that guard to get off him and say, all right, go on your way now that you've been compressed. Exactly. He can throw him away real quick. That's a quick release. Or he can take five seconds and march him all the way to the curb and throw him in the middle of the street, which would be a longer release. Yep. What is overly compressed audio? What's a sign of that? Like if you listen to something and you're going down the road at 85 and it is over compressed, how do you, how do you tell that? Is there, is there such a sound as over compressed? Yeah. And it's, it's called pumping and breathing. Mm. So you hear, it just sounds completely artificial. Like when someone says something like really loud, the loud part gets crushed, gets mm. compressed so much. It just sounds unnatural. It, it's literally unnatural. And the part when they're speaking really softly, it, it see, actually seems louder than when they were yelling because it's so compressed. So, and then when someone stops talking, there's this, they call it pumping and breathing. You have to, you'd have to hear it, but yeah, that's all it is. It's, it's the compressor turning on and off in an extreme way. And it just sounds completely unnatural. Right. Because at this point you've gone from reducing the amount of dynamics to basically eliminating them. <laughs> exactly. So right. Every voice, every music, every sound needs dynamics. You need loud and soft a little, you know, to some extent, but you you can't eliminate that. If you compress something so much, it'll literally just become one static signal, like white noise. And it, it that's not natural. That's not how someone speaks. <laughs> so <laughs> absolutely. By the way, before we leave the attack and release mm -hmm. times, I just wanted to mention about real quick about them, especially the attack time, the attack time. Like when I say the word time, you hear mm -hmm. the, the T on the front of time, right? If my, if I've found out that an average attack time is about 30 to 35 milliseconds. So it'll cut off some of my T or it'll start compressing that the tip of the T. 
Mm. But it won't it won't compress at all. Like if you if you had one millisecond attack time, as soon as I said T, like the whole T would be compressed and it actually loses some intelligibility, some crispness. So you, you can actually make it sound duller, like less less biting. But you don't want to do that because you, you need to hear the T's and the S's and all that. So 30 or 35 on the attack time is about standard. If you go higher than that, it it, it even lets more of the T go by. So the T is more pronounced. So it's like the tip of the signal, the attack time, you kind of play with the attack to contour the tip of the signal. Like when I say, hey, or T, like it, it's different when you adjust the attack time. The release time is, if you put the release time let's say on one millisecond, really short, that's when you get a more in-your-face type of compression. If you put the release time as really long, like even on on the radio sometimes, like terrestrial radio, because they have these limiters before things go out on the air, and their release time there is probably three or four seconds because there's sometimes in a song when you can hear, uh, when it gets soft, Mm-hmm like it gets soft, it gets really soft. And then slowly the sound rises up to become louder. It, it, yeah. So, so when the, when the release is really long, that's when it sounds a little more distant, not so much in your face. And it also helps level out big differences. Like, like for instance, people use a phonic, right. To, to do their leveling for them. Mm-hmm. You can take a track with very different speakers, varying levels and a phonic will sort of raise and lower. Well, mostly raise people's, volume to to be with everyone else's if you were to use a compressor with a long release time that would do something very similar actually very cool yeah well speaking of that because we said how compressors make we, we kind of figured out how they make louder things you know how they kind of squish them down a bit how does a compressor make things that aren't loud enough louder so it's relative right it doesn't actually pull up the low signal. Ah, okay. It compresses the high signal. But what happens when you use a compressor is you're reducing the overall level of the signal. So there's always this output gain knob. That's the very last part of the signal chain of a compressor Mm -hmm. where you actually, it's called makeup gain. That's what they call it because within the compressor, you're bringing the level down. So the last step is to bring the gain up. So the output of the compressor is line level is regular level. So when you turn up the makeup gain, let's say you turn the makeup gain up 10 dB in essence, what you're doing is you're raising, you're raising the whole signal up, but you're also raising the low level up 10 dB. Got it. All right. That makes sense to me. Cause, cause we have, we've, we've taken the loud stuff and basically said, no, you, you can't go above this line. So consequently we, we lost a little of that volume. So now we're turning it up and in doing that, we're turning up the, the bottom end a little bit. That makes sense. Yep. Turning up everything equally. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. Well, the other fun uh, little toy that a lot of people hear, and it does come in handy, is a noise gate. And the way I've always explained noise gates is, I, I use the example, because this is when I started out, I was in the basement next to the water heater, and then I had the washer and dryer on the other <laughs> side of the basement. <laughs> in it's stereo. Gr- yeah. It's, it's a great recording environment. I got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when the dryer was on, 
I would actually try to record with the dryer on. Now I can tell you from personal experience, don't try to record with the dryer <laughs> on. But when I, because I was right next to my microphone, when I would talk, I would be at, you know, whatever, let's say minus 10 again. Right. But if I quit talking, the dryer was, was way down there, but you could still hear, especially if there's something in the dryer with a zipper in it, Ooh. you know, you, you would hear it in the background. So you have one volume that's, you know, at a certain level, and then you have something like birds or the fan in the background or whatever that's, that's still heard, but it's not as loud. And so kind of like our watch guard at the, um, in the, we'll take that same guy from the, the compressor and say, come over here. And now you're basically telling him, look, the only thing that can get on the mic is something that has to be at least this loud. And so that's how I've always kind of understood them. And what are your thoughts on, on noise gates? Is this something that people should use or shouldn't use? Or do you like them? Do you hate them? Yeah. Well, I love anything audio. It's a tool. It's in my <laughs> toolbox. Right. Yeah. So a noise gate, the technical term is an expander. Oh. So you have a compressor, right? Which, which compresses the, the dynamic range of a signal, right? Your expander, which is a gate, expands the dynamic range. So what it does is, in your case, you have a dryer going, and you, you have the guard there, and you tell the guard, look, anything that is below minus 30... I want you to push it down another 20 dB. So if it's minus 31, I want you to push it down to minus 51. And what you're doing is you're expanding the dynamic range because now the dynamic range is, is, is bigger between the, la- the soft stuff and the loud stuff. Hmm. It's more extreme. It's, more, it, it's expanded dynamic range. So a noise gate, that's what it does. The cool thing is, well, a noise gate typically the ratio is very high. So you know how the compressor had an attack and release? Well, the noise gate has the same thing and it also has a ratio. So you can push it down even more. So, so that's a noise. A noise gate is an extreme expander, just like a limiter is an extreme compressor. Mm -hmm. So you, you can use a noise gate to, to push down the lower sounds like that. So the danger in noise gates, because they are very handy is that, you push down some of your audio that you don't want to push down. <laughs> mm-hmm. So finding that threshold. So first you might set it at minus 30, but then you might realize that some of the trails of your words get cut off because right. they go, they go below minus 30 and the, and the expander says, all right, we're pushing you down even more. Or it happens a lot on breaths. Like when you take a breath before you talk mm-hmm. and talk, and talk sometimes like the first part of the breath is is so low it's below minus 30 so the gate will push it down but as you're as you inhale you go above minus 30 and then then it doesn't push it down so all of a sudden it's like like it's it's like (laughs) an extreme breath or something it's weird so (laughs) it's just weird so you so gates are tricky and there's some people who actually record to tape with a gate which I would, I mean, unless it's an extreme situation, I would never do that because if you cut off any, any part of what you actually want and you, you're not going to record it, it's gone forever. So I would always use a gate after you record if, you know, if possible, but they are very handy. You just got to be careful with gates and, you know, and most times you don't 
need one. Most times you shouldn't need one because you should make sure you're not sitting near a dryer. Think of it. Right. That. Exactly. That's the key part. If you can avoid having this stuff in the first place, then you don't need all these tools. Yeah. Cause if you turn on too much, then you end up sounding like Aaron Neville and every other word. You're like, what? What did he say? I missed the yeah, first what? half of that word. He's fading in and out. I can't hear him. <laughs> all right. Well, the last one that I, I myself personally do not understand, and I've had them on a couple different units and I just turn the knob and I talk and I go, I don't hear this doing anything is a thing called a de-esser. <laughs> and so what, what do guru is a de-esser? Yeah. De-esser. It actually takes S's and sibilant noises, sometimes T's, but S's snake. You hear that S mm-hmm. some people's voices, they pronounce their S's louder. They don't try to, it just happens. It's in the nature of their mouth and the way they're the right. air comes out of their mouth. The S's are more sharp and louder. When you record people who have those loud S's, it can actually, upon playback, be very harsh. Like, it'll almost hurt your ears. Like, every time they say S, it's like, ooh, you cringe. It's like, ooh, that's sharp. It's like it just, it's chopping off the top of my head every time this person says, you know, uses an S. Right. It's too harsh and it it's distracting. So a de-esser literally removes the it, it softens the level of those S's. It brings it into a normal level of an S. Now you can't get rid of the S's totally because you need the S's and the T's <laughs> and the, the sibilance. You need that for intelligibility. But if it's too high and it's harsh and it'll hurt your ears, really, is what it does. So um a de-esser is simply a compressor but it only acts in a very narrow frequency band. And Mm. the S's for a male, the average range or the the harshness range of an S for a male is typically 5K to 7K, 5,000 Hertz to 7,000 Hertz, somewhere in there. For a woman, it's a little higher, 6,000 to 8,000 kind of. Um, and look, and there's exceptions all over the place, but that's just the rule of thumb. Right. A DSer will monitor the sound of the signal. And anytime that frequency band, let's use a male 5k to 7k in the 5k to 7k range, anytime that goes above a threshold, it'll squash it down, but it's only squashing down between five and 7k. It doesn't touch any other frequencies. And so you have to set the level of the de-esser so you're compressing those, that sibilance just enough, but not too much. Because if you put it down too much, then you lose intelligibility. If you don't de-ess it enough, the S's are harsh and they hurt your ear. So that's really all it is. So a de-esser, you have to set the frequency, like, you know, and you, you play with it for each voice. Maybe for my voice, it's a... Uh, 5,900 hertz, maybe. I don't know. Maybe for one of my female clients, it's 6,200 hertz. I don't know. You can actually find it. You can use an EQ and sculpt out frequencies and hear where it's the most harsh and go, oh my God, that's harsh. Then now you know where to set your de-esser. So you set the frequency and then you actually set the the gain reduction level. So there's a, that threshold. You just pull it up and down. And you with a de-esser, you can, like a compressor, you can see how much it's compressing. So you want to comp- compress that frequency range enough, but not too much. Got it. And it's one of those things you mentioned. It may not, you may not need a de-esser. If your S's aren't harsh, it, it may not, 
you know, you may be twisting a knob going, I don't hear any difference. And it's the reason why is maybe your S's aren't chopping off people's heads because they're, you know, harsh or whatever. Well, the DSer will work on every signal and every okay. voice. But yes, most voices do not need a DSer. Here's another thing you might have noticed. Someone who usually does not need a DSer, maybe they're on a certain microphone or whatever. But after they're recorded, you turn up, you EQ it, and you crank up the high frequencies a little, and then you hear the S's come alive. Mm. So sometimes when you're processing a voice, you, you need to add some high frequency because you need more sibilance and intelligibility, and, and you can bring down the bass as well. We can do a whole show on EQ, but um, yeah. so if you add high frequencies, though, sometimes you'll, you, you're adding to the S's, the sibilance, and sometimes you'll need to add high frequencies to make it sound good, but then after that, you'll need to DS just to make right. sure it doesn't sound harsh. It's, well, and that, again, goes back to if you can record it right the first time, then you don't have to, to tweak so much uh, afterwards. So That's true. Yeah, well, recording it right the first time is, is always... That's the cardinal rule of recording engineering, actually, is record it right the first time. That's why in the studios with music, you know, they'll spend a day figuring out which vocal mic is, is, is the best for a singer. Like they won't even record anything. They'll just do testing for half a day with like seven different mics and hear it and do this and, and, and figure out, okay, this is the one mic. Because in that scenario, you want to choose the right microphone so you don't have to EQ the crap out of it later. Right. Because EQing should only be done as a fix in, in theory. Yeah. If you record everything with with a nice balance of frequencies that you that is pleasant to your ear you don't need to eq so if you can find the right mic or record it properly then you don't have to fix as much afterwards simple absolutely and that's like you said eq is something we could spend a whole <laughs> whole another show on yeah for, i'm telling you but i just about eq real quick learn to know the frequencies learn to know the the different bands like now you know the ds where the sibilance is mm -hmm. learn where the presence is learn where the mid range is the low mids the mud the low the super right. low and, and what happens is the more you learn frequencies you'll it'll be you'll be you'll be able to eq things much faster Absolutely. And it's, it's not open yet. It's you're, you're building it as we speak, but, um, you're, you're going to be opening up a school that's going to be teaching a lot of this stuff. And that'll be at podcastengineeringschool.com coming soon to a, an internet site near you. <laughs> Actually, so. it's, it's going to be in person. So my ah. idea for the school was, well, I could teach podcasters how to launch their show and how to use right. certain audio equipment, but now I'm settled on teaching people how to actually have a career as a podcast engineer and producer, uh, whether they want to get a job doing it or whether they want to start a business doing it, right? There's a lot of podcast production to be done in this world that people looking for, people are looking for podcast engineers. Amazon posted jobs for it. Panoply did. And people are looking. I mean, that's how Forbes found me. They found me on LinkedIn. And Very they cool. were looking for a podcast engineer and they found me on LinkedIn and they called me <laughs> and I ended up getting the gig. That's so, a beautiful thing. Yeah. So it's there. So I, the courses I want to teach, I want to actually do in-person stuff with equipment. I want to get a bunch of nice. gear, a bunch of compressors and EQs and everything and a bunch of mics and digital recorders. And hey, let's, uh, maybe it's a week long course in person. I don't know. Maybe we get really into it. And by the time you leave, maybe you'll know how to, do everything, not only set up your studio, get all the levels, everything. 
I, my dream would be is to put one of my students who graduated in a room with a bunch of equipment and say, build me a studio and make it sound good. Not build nice. a studio, but put the equipment together right, and make it sound good. And, and they should be able to do that. Well, that'll be cool. Cause that's half the fun is, is that is another thing. I mean, you can take video of stuff, but it's just not the same as turning a knob and hearing it change, you know, in your headphones and things like that. That'd be cool if it's in person. Yeah. I totally want that. In fact, for podcast movement, I wanted to do like a break, like a separate thing, like a half day thing, either mm-hmm. before or after podcast movement, but I, I couldn't organize it in time. I still don't know how I'm going to do it. So next year. Next year or in the fall. I'm saying the fall. <laughs> any fun tales from the studios? We uh, get ready to wrap things up here. Any, any thing you've done or got to play with people or anything that you're like, Oh, that was, that was a cool experience or anything you want to share from, from behind the glass. Oh, you mean back in the day with music? Yeah. Oh, well, I worked with um, this engineer named Nick Didia. He recorded stone temple pilots and Pearl jam and nice. lots of others. And I mixed a couple records with him. I was the assistant engineer. He, um, Orange Nine Millimeter, uh, God Street Wine. And it was cool working with him because uh, we were mixing these records. And, you know, he's like, hey, Stone Temple Pilots is playing the Beacon Theater. You want to come with me? And I'm like, okay. We sat like third row. And then afterwards, we went up to the hotel. We were playing cards with the band. And so it was pretty cool to meet them. Then a few sessions later, he's like, or like a week or two later, Hey, the label sent these bottles of wine. You want them? I was like, oh, this is back when I drank. I was like, okay. And then like a week later, he's like, ah, I'm not going to be able to go to this concert. You want to go? I'm like, yeah, who is it? Oh, Pink Floyd. All right, I'll go. Yeah. Where is it? Oh, Yankee Stadium. Where are the tickets? Sixth row. Four tickets. Like he just is like, here, I can't go. Take them. A lot of cool stuff like that happened. But I did work on a lot of rap music. I met Biggie. I met Puffy. I met a lot of, you know, Heavy D who passed away now and all these people. Good stuff. Good stuff. But uh, I was in my early 20s and I could stay up for 22 hours a day. (laughs) In fact, my my bit, my longest week, I one in one week, literally seven days, I worked 117 hours. So do the math. (laughs) Fun. Yeah. Crazy stuff. But well, and if somebody goes, well, this guy's doing Forbes, uh, maybe I should have him work on my show. Where can people find your, uh, your services at? Well, fractal recording is my company, which I produce podcasts through. So fractalrecording.com. And yeah, that's it. Beautiful. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. And I, I think we did a good job of putting this into English. Yeah, I think we did pretty good. And I want to say, Dave, I want to thank you for not only for having me today, but for being and becoming who you are in the podcasting world, because you not only provide inspiration, but the experience, the knowledge and the good nature that you have in dealing with everybody is really there's so many people that really appreciate what you do. And I really do, too. So seriously, thanks for thanks for being who you are, man. Well, I appreciate it. It would be hard not to be myself, so I try not to. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thanks, man. There you go. Super nice guy. And again, you can find him at podcastengineeringschool.com or at fractalrecording.com. So Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. Next week, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to podcast naked. Now, what I mean by that is right now I'm using Adobe Audition. 
I'm using an Electrovoice RE320. I'm using an Aphex master channel. And uh, let's see, what else am I using here? I'm using some effects in Adobe. Next week, I'm using an Audio-Technica 2100 and Audacity, and I'm not going to use a single bit of effects or any, I'm going straight from microphone directly into the computer so you can hear what it would sound like if you'd started a podcast with 60 bucks. So that is next week's episode. If there's anything you'd like to hear on the show, I would love to hear from you. Go over to schoolofpodcasting.com slash contact. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, I do, again, appreciate every review. Just go over to schoolofpodcasting.com slash subscribe. And lastly, don't forget, we've got a couple more webinars coming over. Go to podcastingpuzzle.com, sign up. And uh, if you're a person that's like, just want to get their toe wet, have a couple questions about podcasting. It's a free webinar. All I need is your email address. And no, I'm not going to spam you. And if you know you want to join the School of Podcasting, go over to schoolofpodcasting.com slash newsletter, sign up. And when the doors open, you'll be one of the first to be alerted. So thank you so much for tuning in. Until next week, take care, God bless, and class is dismissed. The reopen, the reopen, is there such a thing? The open registration date starts in just a few days. That is June 1st is when the School of Podcasting open registration is open, which is hence why they call it the open. I guess I should. Oh, geez, this is horrible. Got this note from Corey. He says, guess what I just did? I just handed my boss my 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 resignation. Yeah. Jeez. I just handed my boss my res- my resignation. Man, I cannot say that. He says, I've been able to call myself a professional podcast producer. So for basically four years, he says, as my pl- as my employee, man, why can I cannot read today?